Hey, this is Mark. The last two years drastically changed how the farm industry engages with its customers. We saw industry deepen its embrace of digital marketing. At the same time, we also saw that HCPs want more personalization and that many feel they're getting spammed by an increased volume of email and other forms of non-personal promotion. A sizable chunk of doctors is also dissatisfied with what they deem as the slowness and siloization of pharma channels. It's clear that traditional modes of engagement between pharma and physicians must continue to shift where industry risks jeopardizing the relationships it worked so hard to preserve during the pandemic. So the $64,000 question becomes, what's the ideal formula for engaging doctors in this increasingly digital post-pandemic world? Well, to answer that question, we need to know what doctors are doing. Most of physicians' CME credits were earned online last year, according to an Hippocrates study I wrote about last week. But many find in-person med-ed valuable, especially the promotional kind. The picture becomes even more mixed when we look at medical conferences. Most doctors still preferred in-person conferences last year, 67% to 33%, yet some 70% of physicians said they're comfortable with virtual meetings, and 76% agreed that the ability to listen to conference sessions at the time that works best for them makes online conferences very appealing. This week on the podcast, amid industry's ongoing quest to find the ideal information mix to engage doctors, we check in with one pharma company and ask, are tools that provide educational content to doctors on demand having a moment? I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. Here with me to discuss are Brent Hasko, Senior Product Manager at Digital Marketing at Novartis U.S. Pharma, and Bozidar Yevichevich. Bozidar is a former executive from Novartis and Sanofi. In fact, his last role was as VP, Global Head of Digital Therapeutics at Sanofi. He's now CEO of Evermed, a company which licenses its software to pharma companies so they can have their own Netflix-like personalized video hubs for engaging HCPs. But first, some housekeeping items. Join us the evening of May 4th in New York City for one of MMM's most prestigious achievement awards, the second annual Pinnacle Awards. The Pinnacle Awards celebrate the medical marketing industry's most venerable marketers, strategists, and creators. The goal is to honor and celebrate those who have made a significant impact on the health industry. For more information or to register, visit MMMPinnacleAwards.com. And stick around the following day, May 5th, also in New York City, for our venerable spring conference, the MMM Transform event, the full picture of health. It's a full-day in-person event with one of the broadest programs in health marketing. From corporate wellness to the increased attention to mental health, and from the emerging cannabis market to developments in digital health, MMNM will bring together industry leaders to offer insight on wellness trends and the evolving patient journey. For more information or to register, visit mmmtransform.com. And now back to our show. Hello, Bozidar and Brent. Hello, good hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Great to have you, have you both. And uh, Brent, you're charged with digital innovation at Novartis, and you're specifically focused on delivering novel peer education within rheumatology. But before we get to the specific tool you landed on, I wanted to ask you to kind of set the stage a little bit. Um, I rattled off a number of trends at the start of the podcast, but what kinds of landscape shifts are you seeing that have bearing on physicians' educational preferences? Yeah, so I think um, when it comes to landscape, it was definitely... Uh, I would say slightly changing, right? Kind of pre-pandemic. And I think it's pretty obvious with the pandemic, it definitely expedited that to a major extent, right? So I say that, you know, changing is, you know, the technology, just automation, right? Yeah, even telemedicine, um, a lot of those things were getting digitized um, and a lot of the dialogues meetings. So 
that was definitely taking place, but uh, just the kind of levels that it was greatly expedited. Um, I know that's pretty clear now, but um, in terms of the landscape changing now, there's definitely always virtual fatigue, right? You know, talking heads on the screen all the time uh, can definitely be pretty daunting. Uh, so a live component, what we're seeing a lot now and even meetings in Congress and different things is you're definitely, ATPs are craving that connection, right? Even revs, sales, I think everyone out there. But um, at this point, I just think even virtual connections, it will always be something of a hybrid approach. Um, you're seeing that now, you know, even just overall meetings, right? There's a virtual and live component. And I think it's really just the most efficient way. But with that landscape changing, I think uh, kind of the second thing I just want to point out is just everyone, you know, it, it's really customized to their approach, right? Everyone learns differently, um, whether they're meeting, you know, live or virtual. You know, as everyone, everyone learns differently in terms of, uh, you know, I could be more visual, um, tactile, um, even auditory, right? Um, and that's just a lot of the things that we're seeing is just being able to, to meet all those different types of formats. Right. The vir virtual fatigue is, is certainly something that's, um, that's a growing trend. And hybrid, as you said, will always be the key. Everybody has their own learning preferences. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's important for companies to stay flexible, right? Absolutely. And so, so that led you to something called the Personalized Education and Knowledge Tool. Talk about how that, that came about. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, two things that we just mentioned, right? Just the landscape changing and then everyone learning differently. I think those two components definitely allow myself and the team uh, just to believe that pharma in general has a responsibility now more than ever to provide an active role in education to health healthcare professionals, right? When I say this, you know, I don't mean like a uh, hundred more branded emails into your inbox, right? That's, that's not uh, that's not what's needed essentially uh, at this point in time, right? But um, it's really just to provide value at the end of the day. So um, what I mean by that is learning from your peers and experts, right? Everyone you know, always has people they look up to or kind of follow, you know, especially on social media platforms and things out there. Um, but doing it so in a personalized manner, right? And again, that just goes back to the pillar of having everyone learn differently or how everyone learns differently. And really those, I would say those two things, just understanding those allowed us, our solution to that was really developing Rheumatology Peak. Okay, so you're, you're rolling it out in the rheumatology area, and this is yep. the first of its kind uh, application of, of, this, of this technology in, in rheumatology, right? Yeah, so Rheumatology Peak stands for Personalized Education and Knowledge. And what it is is on-demand kind of personalized learning platform uh, created with rheumatology experts, but for the rheumatology community. So um, not just rheumatologists, but even just primary care, advanced practice clinicians, fellows, uh, really just the overall general community. It's a first of its kind within room, just based off it being value-based, uh, disease ed, as well as professional development focus. So like even just understanding clinical trial design, um, disparities in healthcare, um, it's, it's not just MOA and different things there, but research-based. Um, and I think the biggest really subset of PEAK is that it just offers a lot of different modalities, right, uh, of learning. I say that because it's short form content, right? It's nothing over 14, 15 minutes. I think the average is around three to seven. 
but it's in a variety of formats. So we have docuseries, video vignettes, podcasts, whiteboard animation, videos, module-based education. Um, and it's delivered by you know, consultant rheumatologists um, in the community. But um, it's the user, at the end of the day, is able to customize and curate it based off their learning preferences. And that's uh, probably the, I mean, going back to the value base, that's really what's ultimately, um, I think, drives home the point is that, you know, we have a responsibility to still provide education, but in formats that the overall community is going to. Uh, there's all these features that these great platforms have um, out there, such as Netflix, YouTube. And it's really just not reinventing the wheel, just bringing that home in a rheumatology platform and just understanding how everyone learns and, and bringing that to the table. Sure, sure. Uh, now, Bozidar, you lived through this, you know, coming from the pharma side. Can you uh, delve into the tech side a little bit in terms of the ins and outs of, of, you know, what makes this a, you know, personalized tool for, for doctors? Yeah, sure. I mean, I also, again, to, to your point before we, there needs to be some mix of channels uh, in the same way, sometimes for me, a metaphor is the same way that we don't need one pair of shoes, even though one pair of shoes is enough to get us from point A to point B. We have, you know, different shoes for different occasions, or we have iPhone and iPad and Kindle when we are at the airport security check and MacBook Pro or PC because they have different contexts. I think in the same way, there will be in-person learning, digital, live, on-demand, etc. But definitely the trend, uh, the trend that people appreciate convenience and efficiency that's provided by on-demand asynchronous learning, that's here to stay. Uh, and we do all long in-person connection, uh, especially over the next year or two. I think we will all want to have that little bit of networking and that. But over time, I think that the very big bucket is going to be on-demand and personalized on-demand delivery. We've been also locked to your question about technology. We've been locked for in for like a year or two. Uh, and we all spend a lot of hours watching Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and listening to Spotify. And one thing that really kind of... Uh, uh, core feature for all these platforms is personalization. Like you go there and it's sort of the platform figures out and helps you find the right content. So it has content discovery built in and it also makes it easy for you to find the content. So whether you search for it or content finds you, it's kind of easy. And we are all now leaving like COVID or the first dramatic part of COVID era with an expectation that everything is personalized. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, doctors are, you know, like consumers and users of other products and they're used to that. And so now the bar is much higher when it comes to user experience. So whereas in the past, pharma could use, you know, technology, let's say a simple library of content, which can be up and running pretty quickly now, there is a requirement for that to be personalized, high quality, short form, everyone is busy, you know, and be able to have some sort of engagement with the content or with other doctors. Uh, speaking of technology itself, uh, I lived through different phases of digital excitement within pharma. And uh, when it comes to technology that enables HCP engagement and content that goes into that, there are always some fundamental questions, which are whether you know, pharma companies should build a new software platform uh, or whether it should license it if there is or whether find something in between, like take some pieces, but then build it or buy a company. And in most cases, especially in 2022, and not just in pharma industry, in most cases, the solution is not to build anything. At least that's, again, my point of view. And the, the reason is that typically building software platforms is not pharma's core capability. 
And that applies to many other industries. So A, it's not a core capability. So it's really hard to have talent to set up the processes, have competence. Second of all, it can be a very costly resource intensive exercise that requires building IT infrastructure, hiring a lot of people and ending up, ending up very quickly with an outdated software and uh, not being able to keep up with new features and spending a lot more and more money on maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So in most cases, unless it's something that is like really core, core, core to the business, like AI and drug discovery or something like that. It's not a good idea to build software. And I spend years of my life doing that and typically doesn't end up well. So what we do is Aramid and what we did with Novartis team, we, we recognize that pharma industry has specific needs in the same way that in 2007, Viva recognized that there are specific needs that CRM system would have for life sciences, the you know, higher regulated industry. We recognize that there is a need for industry-specific solutions. So we build a Netflix-like solution, a platform that pharma can use, you know, relatively in, the, in having a few months up and running and without the need to build anything or hire 20, 30 people team and spend a year or two working on that and investing in technology. So we try to make at least that part easy for pharma clients, knowing that they also have to deal with the content piece, with traffic, how to bring doctors. But at least we make one part a little bit easier, the technology part through licensing. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Marketing it is up to them. Um, you can't just build it and expect people to come, right? But that's another that's another piece. But I know that it, uh, you know, Brent touched on some of the formats of educational content uh, that are in the that the tool offers. You know, like the you know docu style type of content, KOLs, society, as well as product related. Can can you kind of build on that a little bit, Bozadar, in terms of from your perspective? You know, what is the kind of mix? Uh, between educational, I guess, like conference summaries, abstracts of journals versus product-related things like formulary information or product theaters that doctors kind of really, you know, uh, would would most respond to? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, it starts with with the change of mindset. It starts with the change of push mindset to kind of of finding a mix between push and pull. Um, it takes years. I think COVID accelerated all that. You have this whole generation of pharma executives who are in a very high up, high roles right now that, you know, 20 years ago, or maybe sales reps where the mindset was very much push, 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 right? So it does take time to, for that message of finding a mix, uh, especially when it comes to digital channels and content, because push doesn't work really well in digital channels. Because why? If someone is watching a piece of content, they can, with one click, they can actually stop the push, right? And so in in person, that's a little bit more difficult to do. And so uh, there is a research, there's actually plenty of research recently, just one that came out a month ago that says it's something that like, I don't remember word for word, but 62% of doctors feel that content coming from pharma is too product related and that they want pharma to play a bigger role when it comes to helping them stay up to date, but they do want the content to be balanced between disease related, or unbranded uh, with product related. So what we also hear in our day-to-day work with with doctors or end users of our technology and pharma is that doctors are very open to learn about product related innovation from pharma, as long as there is that balance between non-product related and product related content, number one. And number two, as long as product related content is clearly marked. If it's a sponsor that is clearly marked and that is done done in a transparent way. So with, with, if those two principles are followed, then doctors are much more open to watching the content. Apart from the balance between 
disease-related and product-related content, other uh, elements of successful content that engages doctors are that are important are formats. So video and audio are very popular formats lately because we learn much faster through video and we go to YouTube to see something rather than read about it. So video and audio are very popular. Audio because of convenience in certain contexts, like when you're driving or you're in the gym or things like that. Video uh, is usually number one lately. Uh, and then the other piece is length. People are busy. Everyday clinician is busy and wants to check in five minutes. What's new? Why it matters to me? How should I use this new thing? And where else can I learn more? Those are the four questions that are on their mind. So if you can answer that questions in like Brent said, three to seven minutes, right? And answer that. And with that education coming from a trusted person on the other side, trusted key opinion leader, right? And find a mix between disease and product related, then the chances of that content finding its audience, it goes up yeah, exponentially. Right? So those are some of the kind of elements of successful um, content that engages doctors that, from what we see from the data. Sure. Okay, great. And um, in fact, there's a sort of a progression here that you kind of envision doctors moving through where they start with disease-related content, you know, they might move into some product-related content, and then perhaps that would trigger a rep visit, you know, down, down the road. Can you speak to that for a second? You know, I'm a big believer that marketing when done well can be a very positive, uh, positive power, right? Because even the computer drucker, uh, is, you know, one of the top three management gurus of all time says great marketing makes sell superflows, right? If I, I know if I'm pronouncing that well, I'm not a native speaker, but um, it's really, and what, what that means is that means that the, the right way, when I say marketing, I mean bringing products to market. Right? I'm not talking about advertising blatant something. I'm talking about bringing products to market. And so if that follows the natural journey of discovering new treatments, then that approach, whether it's from a medical side, education, whether it's from marketing side, is something that doctors are welcoming. So the way we think about it is, what's the natural progression, natural journey of an everyday clinician? The natural journey is, okay, I have all these patients to think about, and I have a few minutes here and there to check about content, and I want to stay up to date. So what's new? Tell me, <laughs> like, what's new very quickly? Tell me, why should I care? Tell me, how can I use it? Tell me what's the prior authorization or copay or what do I need to know? So, so if, if the content and channels follow that journey and respect what's in that journey, then the chances of, of that uh, bringing that product to market in the right way and message being heard is, is much higher. So we start with that journey, which starts with disease-related content and product-related content. And then if doctor wants to hear more, the best person to talk to is rep because they will have information about copay, prior auth, label, all kinds of things, right? That's a good point. I just want to kind of just um, clarify before I get back, or as I get back to you, Brent, for a second, we're talking about non-CME here. You know, this is just on label, uh, you know, what we call promotional medical education. But can you talk about the extent of Novartis's commitment to this tool? Like how many videos have you committed to put up at this point? Sure. Um, so, Ray, we launched February of uh, this past year, 2022. We have about 90 assets up uh, on the site right now. Um, again, in, in the various um, kind of modalities and formats that we mentioned, you know, just like Netflix and all these um, these big guys, I mean, you know, you really, to be able to 
have retainment and get uh, a lot of more users, not just to sign up and, and check it out and be done. And you got to get, you know, a whole library of content, right? Whether that's, you know, again, additional topics. I mean, I would say we're still, I mean, this is actually really part of a three-year plan. You know, we, we've invested not just, this isn't something we're trying to do temporarily, you know, as a uh, an outcome of COVID, right? This is something we are looking to really develop over time. And this is what we, you know, partnering with Evermen want the future to be like, what we foresee. But there's value here. I mean, we'll, I would say, you know, we, we always have, we actually have work with a Steerco that just kind of helps us, uh, a rheumatology group of ATPs, national community academics, but they've been just helping us um, just provide feedback on, on, you know, what are the topics, what are the different content formats, um, we're going to continue to work with them and get feedback, even just from the overall community. But yeah, we're looking to really just continue to create content. It's not, I think, even piggybacking off before, we're not, nor should be in the entertainment business within healthcare, right? But we're not trying to, I mean, it's a touchy subject to get an Oscar or anything. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you need it to make sure it is entertaining, right? It's kind of, if you want to really truly educate, um, you have to cater to the folks that are going to go there. And, um, uh, it's definitely an investment on us, but um, it's definitely needed for the, and, and rheumatology is just kind of where we're piloting, right? It's a great kind of space. There's, um, I'd say, predicted workforce shortage just um, down the road based off some studies and different things. So you know, providing the, the commitment to education in the space is great, but I think overall would love to expand across uh, the various therapeutic areas because I mean, ultimately, you know, cardiologists might want to learn from rheumatologists um, and different things. So, mm-hmm. and and presumably, Novartis is not, at least on the rheumatology side, is not um, taking away from its say, you know, budget from from live conferences and putting it all into the virtual budget. I imagine some of is being used in hybrid fashion to do both live and virtual, right? Of course, yep. It's um, definitely double the work, but it's it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned, you know, there's a three-year pilot launched in February, so it's only been out there for, for a month or two, but any, any results or sort of indi- leading indicators that you could mention in, ter- in terms of the uptake of this? Yeah, sure. So, and, and just to, um, to be clear, I mean, this definitely took us about a year, um, even dating back to last year to really, you know, just find a partner like Evermed, develop the content. We launched in February, but yeah, I think um, we just kind of kicked off a, a bit of a a media plan. Things haven't been uh, fully launched yet. We're really just getting started. Uh, we kind of spread the word a little bit at our ACR conference last year, American College of Rheumatology, just to kind of get the the juices flowing and into what we're doing, committing here. But um, yeah, again, this is really where we're committed within this space. Sure. And uh, this is a question perhaps for, for, for both of you. You know, uh, as Bozadar mentioned earlier about how popular the video format is among doctors, uh, and it's why, you know, many people use YouTube to learn so much. And, you know, you can Google um, YouTube for medical education, and there's several pieces up there on, you know, some of the top, you know, YouTube channels for, for medical education. But it kind of speaks to the whole micro learning concept. And MMM's own, own kind of research we did last year showed that video and nonlinear TV budgets were up amongst pharma 2021 versus 2020. So I think that the industry is, you know, committing more toward using that channel, you know, to reach HCPs. Uh, but, you know, do you expect or anticipate that more of the industry is going to go in this direction, you know, using video 
to educate and engage with HCPs to a greater extent this year? I think if we look at the broadly, like the overall marketing commercial spend, I think the last data I saw from QVIA, so it's like a total of like $60 billion spent promotional activities. And I think that about 60% was sales reps. And then the updated number I saw was much lower, the sales rep side. And then the digital spend has increased dramatically. And I think that's completely in line to like common sense and what happened during COVID. I saw the digital portion of that like went up in some cases, even by 3x, depending on which categories are you looking at. So it's likely the trend is going to stay. Now, specifically, probably one of the buzzwords of the year is omnichannel. I'm just coming back from the first conference, like in person, like farm executives and solution providers two weeks ago in Philly. And, you know, omnichannel is probably the only word that was mentioned in every session of the conference. And so within the omnichannel, if you think about content formats, definitely, and you think beyond doctors, uh, video is right now more than 80% of the whole internet. Uh, It's growing much faster. It has huge educational value. Technology is there to support the usage and streaming and speed and 5G and all that. So there is a perfect kind of timing for the rise of video and all the indicators are up for video. And similar is happening also in uh, medicine. I mean, you saw, for example, Medscape two years ago, didn't have the part called video. Now you go to Medscape, there's a part called video, right? So there, there is a reason why is that so? And we are heavily focused on uh, of video as the main format. And it's it would honestly really surprise me if that doesn't grow. The question is how fast will pharma companies adopt that? We see that some companies have, you know, five or six videos focused on the product. They're thinking of expanding with disease-related. Some companies have, you know, hundreds of videos. I talked to one last week. They have 5,000 videos across the company. So it really, really depends. But it would be hard to imagine a world in which there is, there is a pharma is not producing more content, more educational content, and more video content over the next three years. It would be really surprising. That's, but that's, again, just my opinion. Right. So pharma's, um, you know, propensity to, to create content is not slowing down, but most of it, a lot of it is going to be, you think, channeled into the video format. Um, and perhaps the industry will heed the call of HCPs to make it more personalized and, and available more on demand. Uh, Brent, do you want to speak to that? Have you heard kind of uh, from, from what your peers are doing, perhaps, in, in the space? Yeah, and I think um, everyone's doing on-demand education. I mean, even podcasts, we know it's video, of course. Um, I mean, it's out there, and they're doing it through a lot of different third parties. I think um, really the next step, um, the direction that should be taken is just personalizing it, you know, and then an option like RoomPeak, you know, it's a platform that EverMed sponsors and hosts. But, yeah, I think it's just the personalization is not – there yet across the industry. Um, so, you know, to piggyback again, I think it will be really curious to see the steps that they take um, and really maximizing that. What do you think it needs to still happen for industry to, to achieve that ideal mix? Yeah, I mean, I think um, Boji touched on it uh, really well before, and, and that's trust, right? Um, you know, again, I, I, I shared that, you know, sending 100 branded promotions into somebody is inbox right you know definitely can help you lose that trust Bozy, i'll let you have the last word here you your take on the, the last hurdles to, to overcome here yeah so so i think that there is a uh there's technology piece content piece 
what Brad said, uh, Brad said, and and then um, the mindset of discipline, continuous iteration, learning, and improving iteration. Thank you both for joining me. It's really interesting. Thanks so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark, for hosting us. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.